Well, hello there, and welcome to episode nine of Stories from a Bar. I'm your host, Chris Osborne. Joining me for this episode, making his triumphant return to the podcast, Mike Townsend. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. You're doing good? Yes. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. We're day drinking on a Saturday. How could how could things be bad? Indeed, yes. How can it go wrong? <laughs> it's, uh, what are you drinking? I am having the Mount Pleasant Porter here. Mount Pleasant Porter? Yes. All right. How is it? Delicious. I haven't had yeah. that one. Yeah. I went with, well, probably should have stated where we were first. Yes. That would help. So we are... <laughs> we um, are hanging out in the stockade in Schenectady at the Van Dyke Lounge, also known as Mad Jack Brewery. Yes. Which is an awesome place, one of my favorites in Schenectady. But this is actually your first time here, right? It is. I have never been here before. So what so do you think? I like it. It's it's good. So before we started recording, I had kind of the sampler of what their different beers were. Yep. And any, even including the Harvest ale which is their pumpkin spice one well well, you know how i feel about pumpkin spice i do i do i mean it it was suggested that i just do a podcast of me yelling at pumpkin spice flavored things for like an hour you know (laughs) which would get quite obscene uh it it could become violent yes i would get too angry to continue yeah but out uh, of control i'll just leave it at that well-balanced flavors i'd have to say for their beers i'll take your word for it other than that, I'm happy with everything else. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm drinking the Mad Frog IPA. It's a collaboration between Mad Jack Brewing and Frog Alley Brewing, which will be opening up at some point later this year in Schenectady, and it's quite delicious. I'm very happy with it. Yeah. So this episode coming to you from the Van Dyke. It's a, a mild continuation of my haunted stories from Albany when I talked to Maeve in my last episode which I know you listen to, as well as the millions of listeners out there. Yeah, I actually really thought that one was cool. It was cool. Yeah. It was good. A lot of interesting stories. So if you would like to catch up on that, if you're looking for spooky stories before Halloween... You do that. It is October. Yeah. Go back and listen to that one. And we are hanging out on the back porch here, actually, because it's probably the last nice day of the year. (laughs) I'm going to guess that that's an accurate statement, Chris. (laughs) It's like 60 degrees, but it suns out, and it's actually pretty beautiful. The Van Dyke itself is actually haunted. Did you know that? Supposedly. That's, that's what they say, yeah. yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know, uh, well, I've had a number of friends, and my girlfriend worked here as well at some point over the however many number of years it's been. It's located right here in the Stockade, one of the most haunted areas in Schenectady, supposedly. And one that burns down uh, over it's, and over and over <laughs> it again. It has been supposedly. burned down a number of times in history. Uh, the neighborhood's supposed to be notoriously haunted. The Van Dyke here, specifically, opened as a jazz club and brothel in 1947. I'm going to guess the brothel thing was on the down low. Probably a good guess. Yeah. I did not find a lot of details on that, but it was home to a lot of popular musicians at the time. See, this makes me think, like, that might be why people were so against jazz. If jazz was, like, a code word for, you know, come to the brothel, (laughs) (laughs) that might explain a lot of... uh, the cultural resistance to that style of music back in the day. I, it's not a bad theory. But apparently, a brothel worker was killed right in the stairwell of the Van Dyke. When you first walk in, if you look to your right, that's the giant stairwell leading upstairs. Yes. The uh, grand as, staircase. The grand staircase. They greet you as soon as you walk in. That's the one story I find the most of. And then, of course, I've heard a lot of going-ons about the kitchen area, but I don't know any other actual stories. But... I need to take a sip. 
Yes. So, Mike, you talk now. So, if you haven't heard it yet uh, and you're unfamiliar with what we're talking about, go back and listen to the last episode with Maeve because that one was actually really cool. Maeve McEnany Johnson. I got her name right this time, hopefully. She's not here to tell me otherwise, so I'm going to say I got it right. Not Maeve <laughs> McEnany. <laughs> no, so a shout out to her. Yeah. Thanks to her. At one point in the last, towards the end of the last episode, we did talk about Schenectady a little bit. And she brought up vampiric mold. Yeah, that was really weird. Because when she was talking about it, I thought it was kind of more scientific. You know, maybe just someone like getting sick off black mold. But this story... There is apparently... She had... Actually, just this week, she forwarded me a scan from a book called... Hold on, let me find it. I had it in my notes here. American Vampires, Their True Bloody History from New York to California by Dr. Bob Curran. Curran. I don't know. C-U-R-R-A-N. I don't know how you say it. Apparently it was published in 2012, and this, the story behind this mold was certainly more intense than I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, like, people were getting sick off of, like, black mold and hallucinating stuff. It may have been the case. They were definitely getting sick from what what we were reading. Apparently, to go into... I pulled out some excerpts from the book here, or made a Cliff, <laughs> Cliff Notes version, if you will. So, a, apparently, in the cellar of a house on Green Street in Schenectady, New York, which is actually the next block over yes, from Yes, it's, it's very nearby. It is. We it's, were shocked to learn. Uh, a white patch of mold appearing from time to time in the basement there. Apparently, the that In original, the outline of a body. In the right. outline of a body, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it looked like a human form. The house, the original house, isn't there anymore. They burned it down and salted the earth. They may have. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that that part they did not say in the book. But apparently, no matter how much it was swept and scrubbed away on multiple occasions, it would keep reappearing no matter what form of detergent was used, the book talks about. Uh, it was a large figure in the shape of a recumbent man, which... Means that he was sitting, I guess? I Laying down? Lazy? I don't... I forgot what exactly... That meant, but please look up recumbency and get back to us. <laughs> Comment on all of the social. But apparently, media it also seemed to be composed of a fluffy fungus-like substance. It does not sound like something you would want in your house. No, caused various illnesses to people who lived there, and it's said that some even died there. Of course, lots of people die in lots of houses. Chris. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, okay, these parts of the story are. Like, this just seems like a mold problem so far. Yeah, kind of. It does. But this is where it got interesting. Apparently, the house stood on the site of an old Dutch burial ground. So, okay, it's getting creepier. Yep. My favorite part's coming up, though, and we'll get there in a second. Uh, most common suggestion was there was a number of suggestions, and I forget. They involved, like, some horrific act being performed there, a person was murdered there or something like that. The most common one turned out to be that the house was built on the grave of a Dutch vampire. Which is pretty intense. Which, okay, you got my attention at least. And, that, the, and I, reading that, the way that it's phrased, it like I, like I said, I thought it was more of like a medical, scientific slammed, thing. But I'm going to blame that on the wind. Yeah, that was the wind. <laughs> but I, I was surprised by... I guess how seriously they took the vampire thing because they're like, oh, what could this be? Demons! You know, well, like they just jumped that they, like they, right away. Exactly. <laughs> and it, it was fun. the more you read it, and I just kind of skimmed over this. <laughs> and I also kind of procrastinated in that respect as I just did all this last night anyway. Indeed. I get easily sidetracked between video games, Netflix, 
Hulu and hockey. <laughs> but so the most common suggestion was that the house was built on the grave of a Dutch vampire that was continuously trying to raise from its resting place, but held in place by a virtuous spell. You know, uh, I've never heard of a vampire appearing as mold in any literature, but that's but very interesting. The, sh- the outline of a body. I'm like, okay, that's an interesting connection. But uh, apparently, hold on, I lost my place in my notes. But apparently, uh, (laughs) I mean, according to Bram Stoker, they can appear as, like, moonbeams through a window, mist, wolves, They also, apparently, according to Twilight, shine and sparkle in the sunlight. Don't get me started (laughs) on that show. (laughs) All right, so this particular Dutch vampire somehow managed to draw energy from the people living in the house in order to revive itself. In some parts of the Netherlands, apparently, they recognized... Ooh, this is my favorite part of the actual story. I've always been skeptical of people with unibrows. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> and hold on, hold on. And this only And this only reinf- reaffirms my feeling towards them. Apparently, in some parts of the Netherlands... They people were sometimes recognized by the fact, or vampires were recognized by the fact that their eyebrows had grown together. Yes. Uh, well, it was kind of more general. It was like demons of some sort of sort. Like a, an, an evil person would have a unibrow. And in my notes, I wrote, "Don't trust anyone with a unibrow." Rather than a grooming problem. <laughs> it's not a grooming problem. Well, I guess so. If you're trying to hide it. Yeah. Some people are just hairy there. I know. Between the eyes. Yep. But don't trust people with unibrows. I mean, all it takes you is, take care is of an electric, it's not that electric hard. shaver, it's man. That's, that's, that's all you got to do. It's hard to keep under control. So if you like see a minute some, a day. <laughs> if you see someone with a unibrow, there's a good chance they're a vampire. Okay. <laughs> and a Dutch one at that, please, apparently. Please keep that in mind. Yes. Uh, this particular vampire that they were talking about, the stories all seem to revolve around a person named, and I. there's no way I'm going to pronounce this right on the first try, Zawarty... Piet. I'm gonna guess that's badly butchered. If you oh, are absolutely. a native, if you're a native Dutch speaker, please. Uh, <laughs> you can comment. chime in with that, but apparently he was more commonly referred to <laughs> as Black Peter. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm just gonna say no clue how he got that nickname. Maybe he was a real bad dude. I, no, well, I have a hunch that it was probably skin color related. Okay. <laughs> I'm just not gonna go down that road. All right. So Black Peter. Apparently, he had come over from the Netherlands, and accounts had him pegged as living in one of the Dutch villages along the Hudson Valley. Of which there were many, so narrow it down, folks. Exactly. This book doesn't go into much detail, much more detail on his specific location like that. Uh, There's, of course, different accounts of how he died, summoning demons, natural causes. It's a wide range. (laughs) That is a very wide range. Yeah. And it was widely believed he was given a Christian burial and possibly in an unmarked plot in some ancient Dutch graveyard in what is now Schenectady. One street over, apparently. Yeah, one, right? apparently one street over. And that's how you know you're loved, when they don't even give you a gravestone. Unmarked. He was Black Peter. Yeah. So, and of course, certainly he was suspected of being a vampire and drawn in of, drawing on the energies of some of the other colonists at the time. Which is why, apparently, the story has continued. Definitely wasn't mass hysteria. No, not at all. It has nothing to do with... There's no witch hunt. Vampires are real, and they have unibrows. 
Must have been the chemtrails. <laughs> All right. So now that we got the haunted stuff out of the way, <laughs> this particular podcast is more about randomness. <laughs> so Chris has discovered and that he has two new favorite sports at least. Well, hold on. Hold on. We'll get into that. And I, and I had this idea this morning. I'm going to have you pick a number. And I have them related to random topics that I have written down and stored for specific podcasts like this. So, and all of these topics are, I don't know if we'll get to them all, but it'll be fun. Okay. Numbers one through what? Uh, that's a good question. Hold on. One, two, one, two, three, four, five, six. Let's go with five. Seven. All right. So pick a number one through seven. Five. And it'll be a random topic. One, two, three, four, five. Weird competitions. That's what this weird is. competitions. It's weird competitions time. Okay, so we'll start with weird competitions here. I think uh, I know what some of these might be, Chris. You do, since I told you what to <laughs> what to read about before meeting me here. Yes, indeed. And I forgot how we came ended up coming across these, but we discovered the great art and activity of cheese rolling. Cheese rolling. Yes. Cheese rolling. So to take an entire wheel of cheese and roll it. And over and down a hill. And good old Wikipedia, the most accurate source on the internet. Yes, Excuse indeed. Excuse me. Well, I fig- figure for something as stupid as cheese rolling, Wikipedia is fine. The one and only source the for one cheese and, rolling. It seems like the appropriate source to go to just to get a few notes. Apparently, the whole thing is just rolling a giant wheel of cheese down a hill and chasing after it. Yes, so, top speed of this cheese, Chris, because this so, surprised me. I did some research, and this is how I spend a lot of my free time, just researching stupid shit like this. Apparently, it started, I believe it started in England, someplace called Gloucestershire. Sheer. I can't, I can't pronounce that. It could also be pronounced Gloucester, I guess. I don't know. It seems... Because occasionally the stuff with I have Shire read- at the end is just, they just whiff... The entire pronunciation of Shire. It's so certain, then it would, if, if you're from England, please let us know. This is please a lot comment of, below. It's just this podcast is going to have nothing but critique comments listed under it from the from the Netherlands, from England. We're people gonna, are going to be real mad. People with unibrows. People with unibrows. <laughs> vampires. Vampire. We're really going after nas- all kinds of nationalities. Burning bridges today. Yeah, I know. Chris. Really. The Cooper's Hill Cheese Rolling and Wake is apparently. An annual event held at Cooper's Hill in Gloucestershire, England. Traditionally held by and for the people who lived in the local village of Brockworth. But now people from all over the world take part, and it's been called a world-famous event. (laughs) I can't believe this has reached world-famous. Well, you know what it it actually reminds me of is the whole thing with uh, the catapults that launched the pumpkins. Oh, pumpkin chucking. Yes. That is so, like... It just seems ridiculous enough where enough people would be like, I got to see this. Well, apparently it's had winners from the United States, Australia, New Zealand, and Nepal. And I looked up some of these videos. And you can go onto YouTube and just type in cheese rolling. It's literally a group of people chasing what is apparently a nine-pound wheel of cheese <laughs> down a hill. And man, oh man, does that fucker pick up speed. It goes up to like 70 miles an hour, that wheel of cheese, and bounces like there's no tomorrow. If you take that yes. thing, and there's people at the bottom of the hill trying to stop these people because they're just because of the speed they're running. And it is some of the most brutally violent tumbles I've ever seen people taking down a hill. 
They're chasing the cheese? They're, you chase the cheese Wonderful. down the hill. The winner is the person that gets the cheese. Okay. People are putting their bodies on the line for nine pounds of cheese. This is uh, hilarious. It is, it's fantastic, and I recommend going to watch the videos. <laughs> and I can only think if you're a doctor in one of the hospitals at that time of year, whenever they do it, you're <laughs> you try to schedule extra backup. It's like way better than the running of the bulls. I've totally forgot about the running of the bulls. I'd ra- I'd rather chase cheese. The injuries would be different, but maybe uh, you know there about are some violent ones. There's people flying through the air after they've taken a tumble. When they catch the cheese, <laughs> do they at least get to eat it, Chris? The, uh, the one video I watched, it was like five or six minutes long. They were talking to the people interviewed that were running down the hill. Of course, there's always a guy in a speedo. Because <laughs> you're already chasing nine pounds of cheese down a hill. Why not wear a speedo while doing it? Uh, one guy Legit. at the end said he didn't even like cheese. So he seems like he was in the right place. The other guy's like, another guy said, I'm just going to take it to the pub and share it with everyone, which I get the sense is the gen- <laughs> is what any winner would do. I don't know how you could consume nine pounds of cheese. That I know there's a little difficult. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there willing to try. And my favorite part of this was apparently police had started warning the organizers because they actually had organizers for a while that they could be that they were going to start being held responsible for injuries. So it's no longer an organized event, and I say that in with quotation marks. They've gone underground somewhat. It's, it's quasi official as of like 2010, <laughs> and and there's no specific date of when it's going to happen. One. One decade of almost of underground kinda, black market cheese rolling. It, yes, exactly. It's gone black market cheese rolling, underground cheese. I don't know. Although they have better cheeses in Europe, so maybe it's worth running, putting your body on the line for nine pounds of cheese. It could be. It could be. Uh, what else was about cheese rolling? I think that's everything I had on cheese rolling. I mean, it's not like they're chasing craft singles. <laughs> No, no one's going to chase a craft single down the hill. And I think it's starting to take off in Canada from what, I, what other things that I've read. And I suggested us get in those little baby bell wheels of cheese and just finding a smooth surface to roll them down. Yes. Because I'm not going to try to tumble down a hill after nine pounds of cheese. Apparently they started using a foam replica at some point. That just defeats the purpose. Why would you do that? It does seem like it defeats the purpose, but I also don't want to take a nine-pound wheel of cheese at 70 miles an hour in the chest. Or face. You know, you got to be dedicated to your sport, Chris. (laughs) Sure. Well, to be fair, I'm on three beers in an hour and a half, so it's starting to sound better and better. That's a sport in and of itself, Chris. So, extreme ironing as we move along with weird competitions. Again, I don't know how I stumbled across this one. But apparently there's a sport, and I use that term loosely, called extreme ironing. Uh, <laughs> and, oh god, this is so stupid. An extreme sport in which people take ironing boards to remote locations and iron items of clothing. That's the whole, whole yeah. definition. Yeah. So, like, you're on top of a mountain that's hard to climb, you have an ironing board, you have an iron, and you're ready to, yeah. to make sure your shirt is crisp. According to the Extreme Ironing Bureau, which apparently is a thing, extreme ironing is the latest danger sport that combines the thrills of extreme outdoor activity with the satisfaction of a well-pressed shirt. I do like my shirts well-pressed. So you were looking at a lot of the pictures of what people were doing that constitutes extreme ironing. There is an amazing video on YouTube again, five or six minutes long. It's like the top... 
top 20 or 25 examples of extreme ironing. And I was blown away. Yes. It made just piqued my interest and made me had to research it more, <laughs> which is why we're here now. Did you know it started in 1980? I did not know that. Uh, extreme ironing came into existence by somebody named Tom Hyam in 1980 near Settle in the Yorkshire Dales National Park, England. I don't Apparently, all this weird shit comes from England or Europe. Because why not? Why not? <laughs> it's weird over there. Uh, inspired by his eccentric brother-in-law, who ironed his clothes even while camping in a tent, Tony illustrated the futility of unnecessarily ironing by doing it in bizarre situations, such as mountain lookouts, crowded airport departure lounges... <laughs> <laughs> that I think you would get arrested for that nowadays. On top of telephone kiosks and charity clothing bins. Okay. All right. Let's let's do it up. But if you look up the video, my favorite, there's like a mountain climber that ran like some zip lines or lines between like between like two mountain peaks. And he's hanging in the middle by like all kinds of hooks, literally with his ironing board, iron his shirt in the air between two mountain peaks. I don't have the balls for that. No, thank you. No. I like a well-pressed shirt as, next, as, the, as much as the next guy. I'm not going to do it on a mountaintop. Wasn't there one with a, a guy on top of, like, an army Humvee? There was the, mil- yeah, the military guy. Yeah. There was one on top of a tank. And you, I recommend going to check out this video. It's fantastic. Along with the cheese rolling, if you're just in for a good laugh at other people's pain. One of my favorites, though, a guy was actually harnessed to the back of, like, a minivan that was just driving around. And he's just hanging there on the back of the minivan with the ironing board, ironing a shirt. Wonderful. It's absolutely fantastic. Delightful. That's That guy's living life like you should. Uh, what else? I had other notes on extreme ironing. Some locations, which we really just kind of talked about. Uh, <laughs> I'll read it anyway. Some locations were, where such performances have taken place include... Mountainside of a difficult climb, which we talked about the mountains. A forest in a canoe. That would be pretty rad. It would be. I would like to see a guy try to do that. In a canoe, yes. Uh, While skiing or snowboarding, which I... Okay. (laughs) And you've really got to look up the pictures and video to get the full effect. And on top of statues, the middle of the street, underwater was the most curious one to me. And you are about to move on to the other great competition, competitive grave digging. I was. I forgot about competitive grave digging. Competitive grave di- digging you have been talking about for a while. Because that, that was, the rules of competitive grave digging were you had to do it by hand with a shovel as quickly as you could, right? Get Com- six feet down. Competitive grave digging, uh, I totally, again, don't remember how I stumbled upon it. I just came across an, <laughs> came across a weird-ass article. that, And apparently, competitive grave digging is a thing. And I came across a few articles, because apparently there was a world championship about for it back in 2016 in Slovakia. Wonderful. And for anyone wondering about any background noise, the winds are blowing out here. <laughs> yes. And our umbrella is squeaking. But my favorite line from a lot of the articles shared the same pun. Put in the fun in funeral. Wonderful. (laughs) Like, okay. And I couldn't find any record of competitive grave digging after 2016, which when this world championship took place. 
The first and only world championship. <laughs> it may have been in Slovakia in 2016. It was 11 two-member teams from Slovakia, Poland, and Hungary got down and dirty to see who could dig the best grave in the fastest time using only shovels and picks. Wonderful. So two-man teams. Uh, the graves had to be five feet deep, six and a half feet long, and three feet wide. Apparently, in Europe, uh, graves are five feet deep. <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah. So there's less space between you and the potential zombie invasion. So don't go to Europe if you're worried about zombies. No. No. Europe's not where you want to be. Apparently the competition's meant to show how hard the gravedigger's job is. Wonderful. <laughs> okay, so do you, I'm guessing you're going to ask me to pick another number. Yeah, this whole thing went sideways. But uh, my favorite part, the judge or spokesperson, whatever you want to call him for the competition, was dressed as the Green Reaper. Wonderful. Of course he was. And a pair of Slovakian brothers had won the competition, both in their early 40s, buried the competition by digging a perfect grave in 54 minutes. It's That's a struggle. So yeah. It's apparently a struggling industry because of machinery and everything like that. So I suppose this competition was meant to increase people's interest in grave digging. Because you could really do that probably in like two minutes with a, a big excavator like backhoe or something. Well, two minutes seems a bit of an exaggeration. No, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Like it's not going to take you an hour no. with a big machine to do that. No, no, it is not. Pick another number. Let's talk about something else. Two. <laughs> Uh, the, okay. The wrong number text message is how I yes. had this listed. This <clears throat> was delightful. So, Mike, have you ever had someone text you thinking, and it turned out to be a wrong number from, for that person? Text? No, I have had weird voicemail messages from an old man who thought he was talking to his daughter. <laughs> oh, that's right. And we talked about this briefly. That's kind of creepy. It was creepy, and then it became sad when you and realized then, that I called him back one time, and then he still kept calling me, so he must have been senile. <laughs> then then it got sad, yes. And then it got sad. So we can't bring our cell phones into work, so I got out to my car after leaving work one day last week or so, and I saw that I had a text message from a wrong number. Nobody I knew or had ever talked to before. It happens rarely, but I love when I get the wrong text messages from wrong numbers. And I'm going to read this, and it was suggested to me that I should call this person and follow <laughs> follow up, but I'm not going to do that part. I think you should. No. I think you should call this person. No. So I get this text message. It goes, hi, Stacy, exclamation point. Uh, this is Eileen. I'm using the real names, I assume, because there's no last names involved anyway. And there's, I'm sure, a million Stacys and Eileens out there. So, hi, Stacy. this is Eileen. I was getting ready for, to work on my homework assignment and realized that my files from last Monday's class didn't save on my flash drive. I must have saved them on the wrong location on the computer. I finished the four variations that evening, but I'm only finding one on my disk. I'm going to do the pattern brush assignment, which, of course, I know none of what this is referring to. This seems like an art student. Art, college student, yeah. something school-related. So I'm going to do the pattern brush assignment now, and we'll try to redo everything before class, which sounds terrible. I don't know how much was involved, but that sounds... It sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like a nightmare. 
Uh, gonna try to do everything before class, but I'm not sure I can finish by then, so it may be turned in late. I almost said tuned, and I don't know why. Uh, I was entombed. I was entombed. Just wanted to give you advance notice. So that's the text message I got. So I don't text and drive because I'm a responsible person, at least in that that regards. So I had my whole drive home to craft and think of a response, and you want to hear what I came up with? Indeed. So I responded when I got home, Dearest Eileen, it is with a heavy heart I must inform you that you have texted the wrong number. I have been where you are, however, and I say fear not. Despite the grim sounding circumstance you find yourself in, it's the hard times where people can shine. I believe in you and good luck. That <laughs> was ridiculously positive. So you had shared a screenshot of this with me like almost immediately after it happened. I really enjoyed this. And I I had so many different variations I thought of on my drive home. Yeah, and I was I was wondering like should I try to post this on Reddit and get it to be the front page of Reddit that day? And I regret not including the phrase, because I thought about this after. I hope these words, I fear these words might not reach you in time. <laughs> oh, God. But uh, I think what I like about it is just the positivity. I was very positive. It. it was very encouraging. And the best part is she responded again. <laughs> she wrote, oh, my, I'm so sorry about that. And thank you for letting me know. And thanks for the voting confidence. Haha. Ha. Hope you have a wonderful Monday. Which I did have a pretty good Monday. Eileen, if you're listening, please contact Chris Osborne. <laughs> so if they are out there and stumbled across the podcast. Yes. I want to follow up. I hope everything turned out okay for you, Eileen. The best homework assignment of all time. Exactly. I hope you did not have to redo all that much work. But you don't ever get the wrong kind of text messages like that. It happens so rarely. I wish it happened more, actually. Yes. All right, pick another number. The Wheel of Randomness. One. <laughs> the the Gentle Cupper. Oh, yes. <laughs> Do you want to get into this one? Yeah, so I will describe what's going on. So you we want to... Yes. We were talking about what would be the worst screen name... So, of all time. Backtrack a little more than that. You are your screening that you came up with for your PlayStation. Yeah, account for the PlayStation Network favorite. is regrettable, deeply <laughs> regrettable. But we were thinking about okay, let's let's take the bad that is my screen name right now and make it even worse. And you did. This was all your idea, man. This, uh, yeah, uh, it was. So we. I don't know how you you just kind of spit it out, and I don't I know did. how you came across it. Well, one of our coworkers was making a cupping motion <laughs> that was seemed inappropriate for what she was saying, and, and <laughs> especially in a working environment. In a working environment, so I just went there and I said, "Hey, it's the gentle cupper." The gentle cupper is now going to be Mike's new screen name. Yes, and to help him out, since he was going to be on the podcast and does not have a Twitter account. I, cre- I took it upon myself to create a Twitter account for you so people can follow. A forcibly created Twitter account. Forcibly created. Hey, I gave you the screen name and password, and you are not allowed to change that. That is true. So if you're looking to find Mike on social media, I recommend going to Twitter and looking up the Gentle Cupper. The Gentle Cupper. Which right now, it's only pictures of cupping things. Yes, <laughs> things being cupped, a hand in a cup shape. And nothing obscene. Nothing obscene. 
because normal that, household objects. <laughs> so far, there is just the initial image of a empty cupped hand. Yes. There is a picture of a hand cupping an apple. Hashtag yes. apple cupping. Yep. <laughs> and we just posted a new picture of ketchup being yes. cupped. Hashtag ketchup cupping. Indeed. So this is how you can find Mike, who will, who has agreed to be on the podcast from time to time. So if you're looking to contact him, it's the Gentle Cupper on Twitter, and he can also be reached at Gmail. The Gentle Cupper <laughs> at Gmail dot com. It's the Gentle Cupper, because the Rough Cupper seems just too inappropriate. It indeed it does. <laughs> Sounded way too violent. As you shake your head and just look to the sky. What else can you do? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Next number. It's the wheel of randomness. I don't know what we picked. Let's just... Six? Did we talk about six? I don't know. I'm just going to go on to the next subject. I gave up on numbers. Okay. <laughs> National Upper Decker Day. <laughs> so this is a so, holiday. Let me state first that here at Stories from a Bar, we are not above poop jokes. Indeed, Chris seems to relish in them. <laughs> it has been a fun couple weeks as I have tried to create a holiday, and I forgot how we first got onto the subject. There's all kinds of random holidays, like National Taco Day, National Pajama Day. National Hug-A-Teddy-Bear Day. Yeah. I tried to create National Upper Decker Day. Found a website that you could try to register these through... <laughs> And honestly, my biggest motivation is I found out they give you a frame certificate if they accept your idea. <laughs> Which Chris would have displayed. I would have. Proudly. I really wanted that fucking certificate, man. I would have hung that up at work without question. You know, and then you could have told people about it and they would say, well, Chris, what is that holiday and well, why does favorite, it exist? My favorite part about National Upper Decker Day is when I tell people that I tried to create National Upper Decker Day and they don't know what an Upper Decker is. Yes. <laughs> and I can't keep a straight face now. For anyone out there who doesn't know what an Upper Decker is, uh, that is when you poop in the toilet tank and not the bowl. <laughs> so you lift the heavy lid off the top and you work your magic. You work your magic. You're, you're dropping your the dark, dark magic. You're dropping the kids off at the pool. It's the wrong pool, though. It's the wrong pool, though. And they haven't cleaned it in years. <laughs> no. <laughs> so this has led to a lot of poop talk over the last few weeks. <laughs> and my favorite... It's kind of gotten out of hand. It I is. I, I, I'll be the first to admit it's a little out of hand, but it's still fantastic. My favorite caveat to the story is the group text that I <laughs> announced this in with a number of people. I picked a random day, October 15th, which was, as far as I'm concerned, is from now on National Upper Decker Day. And no other day whatsoever. But apparently when I announced this to a group of friends that we have a group text going on, it turned out to be one of their birthdays. <laughs> yes. So he had picked uh, one of our friend's birthdays very randomly. Uh, very randomly as I just looked at a calendar and picked a day. Made a national holiday about poop. Uh, on, on his a, birthday. And on a side note, they say it could take up to six weeks to hear back <laughs> on your idea. And if you basically, if you don't hear back from them, it was rejected. I have not heard back. Has it been six weeks? 
I it must have been six weeks by now. Right, we're right around. Is there the, no hope? <laughs> Can we not start a Twitter campaign to make this a Let's, holiday? Everyone, go look up the gentle cupper. I want to see this Twitter account. <laughs> Watch this be the dumbest, most successful thing I do with my life. I create, I create a Twitter account called the Gentle Cupper, and this is what I'm gonna. I'm being attacked by a bee. Being attacked. All right, the Gentle Get Cupper. It? That's a pun. You're being attacked. I'm being attacked. You son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. Uh, the yes, follow the Gentle Cupper on Twitter. But National Upper Decker Day has gotten out of hand. <laughs> At work, at least. It needs to spread. I'm trying to spread the word on National Upper Decker Day. So, to the millions of listeners out there, because there's millions of you. Indeed. October 15th is now known as National Upper Decker Day. There is so much that can be done with it. I tried to convince our friend whose birthday it was to have a party at their apartment that day. He wasn't going it for it. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. didn't happen. The rest of us were game. Sure were. <laughs> But National Upper Decker Day also led us into another fun conversation, and that is <laughs> uh, giving Lord of the Rings themed names Lord of to the filthy R- things. Lord of the Ring poop jokes. Yes, essentially. We started, and I don't remember who was the first person to suggest. Maybe, actually, I think it was me. What is the Lord of the Rings equivalent of an Upper Decker? I believe this came from Anthony. Now, a friend of ours, Anthony, who hosts Video Game Crosstalk, that podcast, uh, (laughs) put it out there on Twitter. This is a question he asked on This Twitter. is a question he put on his you Twitter. He put it out what, to the internet, and the What's internet a Lord of the Rings equivalent of the Upper Decker? And someone responded, I, I don't know who it was, so I can't... <laughs> this is not my idea, but it's the best, without question, the best response he had. Dwarven hospitality. Dwarven hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nash... Upper Deckers can also be referred to as Dwarven Hospitality in the Lord of the Rings universe. And then, of course, we got to thinking, there's no mention, if you watch the Lord of the Rings or read the books, of anyone ever going to the bathroom. No. They talk about food a lot. They talk about fighting. They talk about, I guess, mythology and religion, but... Well, the hobbits, I mean, they're always eating. There's first breakfast, there's second breakfast, there's lunch, dinner, second dinner. I get the impression they're like... Elevensies. Ra- <laughs> Elevensies. I get the impression they're like rabbits and just constantly going, but very smallly. We don't know. It's never been discussed. No, it has not been discussed. And this really set off quite the conversation. And I'd love to get people's opinions on other Lord of the Rings poop references. So if you like this conversation, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Exactly. Stories from a Bar with Chris Osborne. So if... <laughs> If you ever tell anyone you want to provide them with some dwarven hospitality, that that means upper dick in their toilet. Indeed. It does. But other fun Lord of the Rings poop references that we came up with. My favorite, well, it's not my favorite, but I came up with just taking the ring to Mordor. Yes. (laughs) I will take it. I will take the ring to Mordor. Uh, Mordorian skid marks. Okay. All right, you like that one? That is not one I, I think you shared with me I, d- I, I get so excited I share these with people before. <laughs> like, almost immediately when I think of them. Uh, the elven floater. I think I heard you talk this about This one was one, good yeah. because it makes perfect sense. Elves are light on their feet, almost to the point where they float. 
They can walk it, across snow without it, falling It only under. makes sense that if they took a dump, it would float. These are the nerdiest poop jokes ever. Too much lembass bread. <laughs> and then someone, uh, another co-worker, referred to, oh no, there's a car alarm. You look like you were going to say something and then did not. I was going to say, oh shit, there's a car alarm. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> and then someone at work, as we were ta- discussing Lord of the Rings and poop, referred to Legolas as Logolus, which Logolus, I, I yes. think was my, ended up being my favorite. That became the thing you talked about for months. I've been talking about National Upper Decker Day for at least a month. Sure have. <laughs> this is... This whole podcast is a train wreck. It sure is. <laughs> Cheers. What were the other topics? That was it. That's it? Those were all my topics. Oh, man. Now we're left without an outro. Oh, yeah, I had a listener question. Ah, listener question. <laughs> I'm going to have to pull that up. Yes, because it was about our favorite beers and then something else, correct? Yes. Hmm. Really unprepared on this one. Indeed you are. I was. Let's see. So, we actually had a listener question for this episode. Yes. Uh, from Aaron Sturdevant, a buddy of mine who, of course, hosts the podcast Horror with Sir Sturdy, asked, what are your four favorite beers, and when did you have your first beer? Like, I don't really know if I have... I don't really have a specific favorite, I'm going to say. Yeah. It's like, I... I mean, I really enjoy seasonals. I just, I love trying new beers all the time. Not goses or goses. However you want to say that. And believe me, after we asked for a pronunciation, I was informed of by a few people how it should be pronounced when we talked about clowns. Indeed. Episode six, look it up. Yes. But I do have, I remember back in college, this wasn't my first beer, but back in college and I was old enough to drink I used to drink a lot of Labatt Blues I think that was also like one of my first beers Labatt Blues and Blue. it's it's funny because I found out and I didn't know this before I started just buying Labatt all the time that it was like my grandfather's beer of choice really? yeah so that one is kind of now that one has like a nostalgic feel for me I'll get a Labatt every once in a while and it, I actually think of my grandparents when I <laughs> drink it i i think my favorite form of labat blue is there's the giant oil can like size can that you can get is there uh, yeah i don't know like if this, i've seen it's this. this huge huge one like because it's bigger than the one that you can get at fosters i think or about the same size fosters australian for beer do but they still make that i haven't i don't remember i think so but they uh, yeah it's this giant can like if you look for it in some stores will have it in like the refrigerator section with the rest of like the larger like 40 ounce like type of beers Uh but yeah the oil can the oil can i'll have have to look for that but uh so labatt's kind of holds a special place in my heart it's never my go-to beer but i don't know i don't when it comes to a favorite i mean i'll I'll natty ice natty ice (laughs) right at the top of the list and it's uh good old natty ice (laughs) <laughs> no, not at all. But I don't, I, well, I generally avoid dark beers. I'm not a big fan of the dark beers, but I'll, I mean, I'll try them. I'll try any beer, basically. Yeah. I drink, I, I mean, I drink a lot of crafts. I drink a lot of seasonals. 
I tend to like the stouts and porters more than you do because I feel a little bit disappointed if like everything is an IPA. Yeah. You know, I go, and you kind of see that in the grocery store. I guess IPAs maybe are more shelf stable or whatever, but you just see every single thing is either a pilsner, a lager, or an IPA. And I'm I'm like, where's my dark beer? But uh, my first beer, at least the first one I can remember, I probably had sips and things like that maybe to this. It had to be, it was definitely, it wasn't any later than ninth grade. Eighth or ninth grade, somewhere in middle school maybe. I remember somebody, I was hanging out with two or three friends. Somebody snuck a beer from somewhere. It was a Killian's Irish Red, which I don't oh. even, I don't even I think don't know they, if they make that I anymore. I don't think they make it anymore. And that was like proper gross. <laughs> I just remember passing it around between the three or four of us. Someone probably stole a porn mag. I think if you ordered a Killian's Irish Red in Ireland, they would just knock the crap out of you. Like, they would not. It sounds appropriate. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that's like, was from America that they're like, it's Irish. You know? No, no, it was not. Yep. You remember your first beer? Uh, I want to say that it was something really. It probably was just like a Bud Light or something, you know. But I know that Labatt Blue is something that I really liked in my college years. I did drink. We, when I lived in Albany. And then my taste developed. Yes. And then I developed a taste for beer and branched out. I remember trying to build a beer pyramid out of just nothing but empty Labatt Blue cans. Wonderful. (laughs) When I lived in Albany with a few roommates for a couple months got to build the uh the tower out of like empty beer boxes and to and stuff there we would play a game called box head where we just took the empty box put it on our head and this seems like something that chris would do it was a legit game i think there were like legit rules and everything i don't of course it's been years since i've played box head yes couldn't tell you the first thing behind it other than putting an empty beer box on your head now so chris what is your favorite beer right now Right now, it's the Mad Frog IPA that really? I'm drinking. It, yeah, it was very good. So that's one of the uh, truly local beers. It is truly here. local between the Van Dyke and Mad or Frog Mad Alley Jack and Frog Alley. Frog Alley, which has not opened yet, has not opened yet in, in Schenectady. But, but I look forward to their opening. Mad Jack. Yes. Uh, what about you? I already asked you. <laughs> you did. I don't think I answered though. No, about, you did like, not. What my favorite beers were just what my first beer was. Um, Porters and stouts you're into? Any yeah. specific ones? Well, I think if you if you want to have, like, the king of all stouts, you need to have KBS by Founders, because that's, like, the richest, darkest stout of all time. The richest? That's, those are big words. Yeah. So it's, like, you, you pour maybe, like, a quarter of a bottle of the thing, and you're set. And you're like, this, this is enough. It's like eating, like, a rich, dark, dark chocolate cake. That does not sound good to me. I mean, it, if you're into the darker beers, I think it's it's highly, highly regarded. Um, I think if you mostly are into IPAs or other lighter beers, you might not like it as much. But if you're looking for kind of the top of the shelf of darker beers, that might be it. Well, all right then. And then anything by, by Treehouse, I think you would not go wrong with. Treehouse. I don't know if I've heard of Treehouse. Oh, man. Treehouse and Equilibrium? Equilibrium, I know. Yep. They, they have some great yes. stuff. Great stuff. 
All right, I think that's going to wrap up the episode. We'll finish off on that note. So, Mike, thanks for hanging out. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show again. Thanks for having me. We'll have to do this again when I have some more random topics to just talk about and drink about. Yes, indeed. I appreciate you hanging out, uh, sharing all this nonsense. Uh, Don't forget about National Upper Decker Day. I hope you had a good holiday. Next year, October 15th. Next year, I want people to go all out on October 15th for National Upper Decker Day. I'm going to start a revolution here. So, uh, thanks again to the Van Dyke Lounge and Mad Jack Brewing. However, whichever way you'd like to refer to this particular spot. (laughs) As we sit between the actual building and where they brew the beer. Yeah, nice little uh, brewing facility out back. Uh, So next time you're in Schenectady, for whatever reason you may be in Schenectady for, be sure to stop by, have one of the great beers. I recommend the Mad Frog IPA. Mike, what did you just drink again? I had the Mount Pleasant Porter. The Mount Pleasant Porter. I have not had a bad beer here. Yeah. It's probably... The Fighting Irwin was also really good. Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite places in Schenectady to hang out. Thanks to the millions of people out there checking out the show. And I'm just going to keep saying that till it's true. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, You can find Stories from a Bar on Facebook. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at StoriesFAB. You can even email the show at StoriesFAB at Yahoo.com. And now, thanks to me, you can check out Mike's new Twitter account at The Gentle Cupper. The Gentle Cupper. C-U-P-P-E-R. Because Mike is a gentle cupper of things. So I'm told. <laughs> so, and I want to see this t- get, I want to see this Twitter account take off. So feel free to take pictures of yourself randomly cupping things. Nothing obscene. Nothing that will cause Twitter. Keep it, keep it safe for work. <laughs> nothing that will cause Twitter to close the account. But pictures of people cupping things and tweeting them to the gentle cupper. At the gentle cupper. At the gentle cupper. And finally, you can find this show on iTunes, Podbeam, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube. So be sure to subscribe. And for the love of God, get off your ass and leave a five-star review. (laughs) Mike did it. I didn't leave his house the last time we talked until he did. He did threaten me. I did threaten him with bodily harm. I would throw him down a hill like he was chasing a wheel of cheese. Oh, dear. And I will do my best to post those videos on my Twitter feed, on the show's Twitter feed, to share with the world. that People, if you don't know about cheese rolling, you should. And if you're ever in Schenectady, come check out Van Dyke Lounge and Magic Brewing. Yes. So until episode 10, next time, I say cheers. 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 Cheers.